Good evening, everybody. We are here on December the 11th, 2021. All GTC, everywhere, I hope you have started. It's the first day of our fast. We had a wonderful pastor's conference. We just thank God for everything, how he managed it. He allowed people to come, some good, some bad, but he allowed it. <laughs> so we are good. We ministered to them all. Kingdom of God is like that fishing net, all kinds come in. And then we believe they'll get saved, some of them. <coughs> but now we have come to the evening Q&A, our 97th Q&A. We just thank God for one more opportunity. We come at this time into the hands of the Lord and we pray for all the yes. questions. We yes. thank you. We're trusting you for the answers. Where we go wrong, I pray He will give the hearers the discernment, Lord. For you alone have the absolute perfect true answer. We all are still flesh, fallible men and women, Lord. But you, there's no shadow of turning with yes, you. Yes, yes, Lord. So we just want to thank you once again for today, Lord. Now, use us for your glory, Lord. Come with us and the hearers into thy hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Am I okay, Sami? Which is the first question, Pastor Vijay? Pastor, 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 this is question number 16. Uh, it's actually a, from the last time. Okay. Uh, question number 16 says, <clears throat> Many professors in college and high school teach there is no such a thing as neutral or objective claim. There is no such a thing as truth with a capital T. There is no right and wrong, no good and evil. This is what he taught in a college classroom and in high school. If you are a Christian, how would you explain it right from uh, right from the word of God, just to shut them up? It is so frustrating sometimes. I have to help the college kids and the students to understand that it's, that is not true at all. Please help me in this area. <coughs> First, when they say there is no good and evil, if you want to answer from the word of God, it states straight away in Genesis chapter 2, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, there was a knowledge of good or evil. In the first place, these props, they're just big sounding names and big sounding degrees. But if you look at it, it's a, it's a, if the, if there is no good and evil, then why do we need laws? Hmm. Why do we need laws? Can we have any system in which there are no laws? What's the purpose of law? What's the purpose? Is there any nation without laws? There is no nation, there's no organization, there's no system, there's no home without laws. Nature itself tells you there are laws on which everything is functioning. Yes. It's because there is good and there is evil. Laws are there. If there is no evil, you don't need laws. Hmm. Okay, you just need instruction so there is order, but you don't need laws. The Bible is very clear. The law is for the ungodly. Yes. See, and this is this is the basic issue. And let me tell you, the basic issue of the fallen man, uh, he he comes to this point because the issue with the moral God, unlike pagan gods, an absolutely moral God, and his code takes the liberty of the fallen man. Mm. That is why. And the sound of, you see, you cannot, you cannot uh, argue against the moral this thing unless you are also sounding very high and right. Yes. Let's look at the case that is happening. The big day. Everybody's eyes is on that case in the Supreme Court about 
let us say, abortion rights, where they will turn it, restrict, whichever way it goes, we do not know. But if you look at it, they will never, it's labeling. This is what they do, it's labeling, okay? So they will uh, they will put as a uh, woman's right to her body. So immediately they bring a right over there, okay? Right over there. The minute you bring that terminology as if you are fighting for woman's right or autonomy over the body and everybody is fighting for a right, but that same right was violated when people are being forced to take vaccination when they don't need it. Okay? So they speak from both sides yeah. of their mouth. Okay? Then when it comes to, uh, comes to this, we need to realize <coughs> there are absolutes in life. There are absolutes in life. If there aren't absolutes in life, I know there are, there are situations, uh, I forgot the theological term for that. Uh, people will talk about that, like like think about you know, is lying always wrong? Situational ethics. Situational ethics is lying mm-hmm. always wrong, and I would say, would you what what did Cory Ten Boom tell the Nazis who came to our door? Okay, took out the Schindler's list and all those time, how many millions or how many thousands were saved because somebody refused. So the question always would be asked is that, who is asking the question? Mm, exactly. Is asking the question. It is not whether always, it just depends upon who is asking the question. The question is being asked somebody who has no moral right. Mm. No rights at all. No ways of right. He's an intruder. Okay, he's an intruder. So, it is. But when it comes to this, we need to look at it is that truth is absolute. Truth is absolute because God is absolute. See, the Bible does not uh, give you suggestions. The Bible starts emphatically. Mm. It's an absolute emphatic statement. In the beginning, God created. Begins like that. Meaning it's God who it began. So he's the absolute over there. He is the absolute. Then when it comes to truth, if I'm right, it's in Isaiah 59. 15, let me just get it for you. Is it 59 or just give me? Is there verse 14? Verse 14. Yeah, 59, 14. No, 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 not that one, that one. Okay, not that one. It is where God says, God of truth. Hmm? God of truth, I think it is Isaiah. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, 65, I say 65, 16, 65, 16, okay, 65, 16, and then we'll come to this. So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in God of truth, okay? So God is called the God of truth. He who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. God is the God of truth, okay? God is the God of truth. Then the other ones we know very well. John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. When he personifies truth, I am the truth. God is the God of truth. Jesus is truth. And then the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And then God says, I do not change. I am the Lord who does not change. So you put these two together. If God is the God of truth and God is truth and God does not change, then it means 
truth does not change. Mm. Truth does not change. Truth does not change. And then the scripture says the word of God is truth. And then finally in Timothy, scripture says the church should be the pillar of truth. All the chaos in the western world is because the church stopped being the pillar of truth. All these professors came from the church. All these ideas came from the German philosophers and French philosophers. They are the theologians are the ones who brought all this junk in. Okay? It's because, and then what happens when truth goes? Now you go to Isaiah 59 and verse 14. Okay? This is exactly what happens to the world. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. And equity cannot enter. What is the reason? The reason is truth is fallen in the street. The truth is it's simple examples we used to say is that you think about a lane and a truck has broken down. Okay, it's broke, it's blocking everything. Now the vehicles that got in also stopped. Other vehicles are not able to enter all because one vehicle has broken down in the middle of the street. And that's what God is doing. Looking at life as a street, okay, personal, family, mm. national, whatever. If you look at life as a street, why is justice turned back? Why doesn't righteousness enter? Why does it stand far off? Why is from if equity cannot enter, the result is inequity. Yes. Why is inequity cannot enter? It's because truth has fallen mm. in the street. Yes. Okay, that's what happened. Okay. And this is exactly what the devil tries to do in Genesis chapter 3. He comes and questions what God has said. That is truth. And the result of the fall is man tried to negotiate with the truth. Okay. Negotiate with the truth. God said you shall surely die. The devil said you surely not die. And they ate it. The first fall of man is because truth, you cannot negotiate with truth. And the results of it are eternal. Yes. Eternal. The results of it eternal. Okay. And we see that, no? We see that. I mean, look at it at a time like this. Uh, the day you eat, you shall die. And that is the reality. After 6,000 years of this thing, this one thing man has not been hmm. able to beat. He has not been able to beat it death not been able to death. And you look, go through scripture. God says, my spirit shall not contend with man for over 120 years. How many people do we know who reach 120? Below 120, everyone dies. You go through scripture, you go through fundamental principles of scripture, you will see it has played out in history because it is truth. And truth cannot be broken. When we say scripture cannot be broken, if scripture is not truth, then scripture can be broken. Mm. But scripture is truth. Because scripture is truth, truth cannot be broken. And when you break truth, the consequences follow. The consequences follow. And this is the issue. This this most of most of this uh, uh, teachings in universities, let me tell you, universities against uh, absolute truth. Let me honestly tell you, it has got not to do with ethics. It's got to do with morality. Mm. If you ask them, do you like stealing? They will say, no. Why don't you like stealing? 
What's wrong if somebody steals your salary, bro? Is there any absolute like you cannot steal? Is there any absolute something like you cannot steal? Why do you say stealing is wrong? Because there are no moral absolutes. Okay. Would you mind if somebody killed you? Because thou shalt not kill something which God said. Hmm. Right? God said thou shalt not. So it is primarily not to do with ethics. It's got to do with morality. It's got to do with morality, with pleasure. It's primarily got to do sex and perversions of sex. Yes. Let me tell you, this is the primary reason. It's got to do with sex. Okay. Now let's talk about abortion rights. It's got to do with sex. Without sex, you cannot conceive. Without conceiving, you can. You don't need an abortion. Okay. You can be almost guaranteed that you can have with modern science, medicines, whatever available. Ninety-nine point nine nine percent you can avoid. Pregnancy if you want. So what are you fighting for a right where you can actually get pregnant if you are careful? You won't even get pregnant. Still fighting for something. It is basically unrestrained pleasure. No restraints. No contraceptives, no protection, nothing. We will do what we want to do. And in case she gets pregnant, she will kill the baby. Unrestrained. So you need to realize why they talk about absolutes is primarily. And you go look at these geeks, you will see them. Okay, they are homosexuals, they are bisexuals, they are all kind of creepy crawly things with degrees behind their names. Okay, and they're basically talking this. Okay, you scratch a little deeper, you will write that absolutes has got to do with something else. Got to do with something else. Okay, something else. Because logic itself, simple, rational logic itself says, if you don't have absolutes, the society will not survive. It will not survive. You need absolutes. If you don't have absolutes, which is on which laws are framed, okay? Absolutes came, the absolutes actually came on Mount Sinai when the law was given. Okay, the law was given. And you no, know, you go to, because we all came from these universities, you no? Know, and uh, in all these universities, they hate the Mosaic law. They hate the law. They hate the law. Okay? And the thing is that all these kids, you know, when they go to university, you will see it is fashionable to be a rebel. That's what Derek Prince was talking about, no? where he wore an electric blue fur coat, because that is his way. He said, hippies weren't there in my time. If they were there, I would have been a hippie. You know, what is all this thing? It's basically a rebellion, not against truth, basically against the hypocrisy of a society which seems to uphold truth. See, the system is supposed to be built on law. The law is supposed to be built on truth. The people who are upholding or holding the law are all basically hypocrites. So the youth is actually searching for authenticity. Uh-huh. There is deep inside. The Bible is very clear in the book of Ecclesiastes. God has put eternity in our yeah. hearts. The entire purpose of education is to find truth. Yes. That was the original purpose of education, the knowledge of God. But instead, 
you have these kind of sitting people over there who actually contradict what the children are searching. And you know what? The mess you see in the world today, the mess you see in the world today is education itself has been perverted. Instead of searching for truth and finding truth, we are making rebels and perverts of young generation. No, so the answer, the answer to that is that the Bible is not a book of suggestions. It begins. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you go to the end. It tells you also how it will end. It's very clear, very clear. There is a creator who was in the beginning. And the rest of us are, rest of us are creation. And he has set in motion a set of laws. The set in motion. I mean, where can you look into the universe and see things not working according to laws? Yes. We have a doctor sitting over here. Can you look into a human body and say it just randomly functions? It doesn't randomly function. No. There's nothing there in which there isn't Order. And you cannot have order unless you have law. And you cannot have law unless there is truth. And what the Antichrist does is the Bible says he will change the laws because he has to pervert the truth. And from there comes chaos. Comes chaos. That's what he will do. And that's what we see around all around the world. In every nation, laws are being changed. Laws are being changed. And what he will do is that to keep social cohesion, he will have laws which are connected with ethics, but he will play around with laws that connect with morality. Morality, yes. And that will feed the flesh. And people will be very, very happy. That's why the Bible says he will flatter them. He will flatter them. He will flatter them. Okay. So you will see a kind of, I mean, he will, he will, uh, he may even change the laws like minimum guaranteed income, all these things that are coming in. He will say, you know what? Everybody, we will take over it. The government will take over everything. And we will give everybody the same amount. So you don't have to lie. You don't have to steal. Everybody gets the same thing. But he controls lives. That's, that's what AOC and all are fighting for. The communist system. But does communist system work? Has anywhere communism works? No, it does not work. Because you know what? God created man in his image. And one of that images is man has to work. Mm-hmm. And when he works, there are incentives. If there are no incentives, we will not work. That's why even in the book of Revelation to all the seven churches, rewards, rewards are mentioned. Yeah, just take this. Yeah, we have a meeting going on. No, it's anti-forgotten. What, what, only one? Because the anti forgotten Yeah, continue, continue, don't worry. We have a meeting going on, Doctor. Yeah, it's okay, it's okay. Sammy will handle it, okay. Oh, he'll handle it, he'll handle it. He'll handle it. He's coming, he's coming. He's coming. Okay, so, no? So that is not true at all. So to, see, we can speak all these things only to the... Kids who are really searching, 
Because if you go from this to question number 17, I will answer how you can put this together. Mm. Do not give, let me look at the references. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. How do you recognize dogs and swines? Go to chapter 7 of Matthew. Then we'll understand. Okay. Seven onwards, one onwards. One onwards. Judge not that you not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrites. So it's got to do with hypocrisy. Mm. Okay, when God says, you know what, your judgmental is not based on truth. You're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. Okay, says, okay. So God is not per se saying, don't judge at all. Because immediately in verse 6, he's saying is that, yet be very discerning. You cannot be discerning unless you use judgment. So 1 to 5 is an indictment on hypocritical judgment. But on verse 6, he's talking about discernment. Mm. Okay? Do not give what is holy to the dog, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. What is a pearl? Jesus himself talks about what a pearl is. The pearl is basically, if you want to connect it with the previous question, it is truth. Mm. Truth is precious. You have to seek for truth. You have to search for truth because you know about truth. Truth truth is eternal. It is precious. It is valuable. But you don't give what is holy, like truth is holy, to people who, who are scoffers and mockers. Who don't value it. You don't give it to them. You don't waste your time with them. That's what God, God says being, be, be, be very discerning. Because when you talk to people, when you are on missions and when you talk to people, you know some people are just there for arguments. The Bible says don't get into arguments. Mm. Just walk away from, don't waste your breath and don't waste your time. But there are others who are very, very serious. Very, very serious, okay? There are these martyrs who will sit. Like I remember one in a church, we had a Q&A session, big church, a lot of people. And you wouldn't believe the man who asked the question. The man who asked the question is one senior elder of the church. And his question is, whom did Cain marry? <laughs> question is, why do you want to confuse these children? Why do you want to confuse these children? And the answer to him was, first how many children of Adam do you know by name? Three. Cain, Abel, and Seth. But the Bible says he had many sons and daughters. Right? Three names are mentioned because these three names are fundamental to God's history. Cain is the first rebel. Abel is the first one by faith. And Seth's generation is the one who calls on him. So these, fun, so these three. But he had many sons and daughters. Okay? So it is very clear to understand when you have only one father and mother and these many sets of children, whom did they marry? They cannot marry anybody else because there's nobody else to marry. Then as families increased, God is bringing laws about marriage too. So it is there in the Bible. 
If you search, you will see it. But some of them are scoffers and mockers. The Bible says many scoffers and mockers will come. And God says, you know what? Don't waste your time with them. You look at, let me give you the references. Okay? Proverbs 26 and verse 11. <coughs> 26. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So it's not talking about a dog. Okay? It's not talking about a dog. It's talking about a fool. Okay? You know, he's a fool. There's no point advising. There's no point. There's no point giving him all these truths. Okay? Because he is not interested. And you know, go to any church, including ours you will see there are a set of people who are not interested. First chance of liberty they get, they will run. They are not there because they are interested. They are there because they have because of compulsion. Because of compulsion. And God says, you will find these people everywhere. Everywhere. The scoffers who are always there. Don't waste your time with them. Okay? And uh, we have, of course, in Peter also, it uh, talks about it. Okay. This is what Jesus said, no? Uh, we need, we need, uh, what you call discernment. In Matthew 10, verse 14. Matthew 10, verse 14. This is what Jesus said. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. What does he say? Wherever you go, you will find people who will deny, who will not. He says, don't waste your time. Try, see, pray, and after that, move on. You cannot convince everybody. They are not going to be convinced. Though the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, people are not going, even in Noah's time, only eight believed. In our time, much more will believe. But God is saying, use discernment. Use discernment. Okay? Because, like, uh, like when we talk at home, when I, when we talk, we, uh, we say, we are God's stewards. We have a limited amount of time, energy, resources, everything given. Be a good steward. Don't put your resources into something. Where there are no returns. No returns. Meaning going and arguing the gospel with the same person over and over. It's a waste of your time. Go somewhere else which may be fertile ground. Fertile. You see, Jesus refused to get into an argument or a discussion with Nicodemus. He said, you are a teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. But you know how much he goes out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman? Samaritan woman? Okay. That's why we need to always remember. This is the funda I know it's very difficult, but this is the truth. The gospel is to the poor. When we talk about the poor, I'm not talking generally about financially poor people, but it, it comes in. Yes. Luke will use the word poor, poor. in terms of poor. And Jesus was very clear. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? It's very difficult for a rich man to humble himself, especially if he's been rich for a long time. 
he has already been autonomous from God. Because riches gives you that autonomy from God. You don't need God in most areas of your life. You have kept God out because mammon has to replace or money has to replace God in most area. But the gospel is a humbling. I'm not saying Jesus. Then uh, the uh, disciples ask, then who will get saved? And Jesus said, I will show you. Then he enters into Jericho and the richest man gets saved over here. It's not that the richest people will not. But the problem is, you know what? The problem is not with riches. The problem is with pride. Riches bring pride. Knowledge brings pride. Strength brings pride. Okay? Beauty brings pride. All this. Pride becomes a block. And unless you humble, you cannot receive the gospel. Because the fundamental premise of the gospel is everyone is the same at the foot of the cross. And for the proud one, the self-righteous one, who through his efforts receives vain glory, it's very difficult to himself to acknowledge, I am no better than that one. You mean his way and my way to heaven is the same? You know, the rich man, it's very difficult for the rich man to accept the fact Lazarus and he has to go through the same gate. The Lazarus is always lying outside his gate. Okay, this is the major issue. Our major issue is this. So you know what happened is that, you know, that's why the first blessing is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Oh. And the third one is blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Okay, and God guides the meek. He teaches the meek. He leads the meek. And we we have to look at all these things and we will say, the Bible says, you know what? Some people are gospel resistant. <laughs> they are. They will not accept. They will not accept. That's what pride does. I don't know how it works, but pride is a very dangerous thing. You see in heaven, if you see in heaven, Right? You see in heaven. Doesn't Lucifer really know his end? Doesn't he know who God is? Hasn't he seen it all? Can he change? Can he change? Why is he not able to change? Pride. It's pride. Pride does something to you. The most, that is the, like they say, theologian says, is the mother of all iniquities. You know? And God says, you know what? There will be a lot of people who will not receive. So these truths, don't throw it before swine. Pearl of enormous. Remember the merchant who went and found a pearl of enormous value. What did he do? He was willing to give up everything to possess it. Possess it. And when you come to the 16th and the 17th questions together, on one side, this prof's Think they are wise. They are wise. themselves to be wise. Yeah. And if you look at look at the the gospel in First Corinthians, you know, chapter one, God says, you know, professing to be wise. God, you know what? He used the foolishness of the cross. He used the cross to divide mankind. The wise and the fool will fall at the, by the cross. Will be divided by the cross. Okay. And foolishness. The cross is foolishness, those who are perishing. How can God save like that? God says, that's the way I save. The cross divides humanity. 
Now, ones who are getting saved are on one side. The ones who are perishing are on another side. Mm. And the ones who are perishing claim they are wise. Mm. Wise. While those who are being saved claim they are foolish. They are foolish. And there is an inversion that is going to be. You know? And God has said already in his word, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. It's a fool. There is no God. So these wise men are basically fools because everything around them tells them there is a creator. Everything. Take, a, take that atheist professor who says there is no creator. Therefore, there are no. If there is a creator, there are absolutes. Okay? You cannot have uh, hmm. absolutes without a God which is outside. Okay? There is a creator God, sovereign creator God. Therefore, there are absolutes. So there are no creators. Yet this same man, this same man, from the time he opens his eyes, is working with things behind which there are creators. When he gets off his bed, it's because there was a carpenter. When he folds his blanket, it's because somebody, some set of people, went through an entire process to make it. Everything goes into his kitchen. He puts on the coffee machine. It's because there was something called a coffee machine behind which there were. There is nothing that he uses every day. It's absolutely nothing that he uses every day behind which there is somebody who made it. Whole set of people who made it. And then he wants to come and tell us that there is no creator. That's why the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He says that every fellow who says there is no God and no absolutes, you know what actually is? He's just a fool. He's just a fool. And he uses the cross to divide them. He divides them. Yet, that's why ultimately new age will come in. New age comes in. You know, they want morality to be taken away. Ethics has to be comfortable, can be bent. Everybody does it, not that kind of ethics. They don't want absolutes anywhere. Absolutes anywhere. So they will say, no, truth is your relative. <laughs> truth is not your relative. It's your king. Right? My truth and your truth. No, it doesn't work like that. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, all questions are on the same topic, so we'll let us take the next question, I think. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's question number 18. 18. It's uh, two slides, okay? Hmm. My question is about idols. I'm married into a white American family in America who think that having images such as the glorified jumbo statues of the nativity scene and images of Mexican Jesus, etc. are okay. They call themselves born again, baptized, but think that these are not being worshipped by them, so they are okay to pass it on to generations. I'm torn between my beliefs and, their, and theirs because every Christmas I have to act like I'm enjoying the Christmas tree, the nativity scene, etc. They strictly don't believe in following Santa, but everything else they follow. They think that I'm from another faith, whereas I think that they are not fully in the knowledge of the whole truth. I also saw a video some time ago that spoke about all these traditions, especially Christmas and Easter, are more commercial than spiritual days. The concepts of them are far from the Bible and was initially uh, began, uh, began uh, and they initially began from paganism. What are your thoughts about it? I'm often torn between my beliefs and theirs, old ways, 
and get into arguments with my spouse about it. Okay, first, don't get into arguments, okay? These are, I mean, ultimately these things don't save you. Christmas, of course, is the biggest commercial festival in the world, which is true. And China makes a lot of money out of Christmas. They sell all the Christmas products for America. Okay, but it has become a festival. It's not about, about Christ, like they say, we have taken Christ out of Christmas. Okay, so that in America it's politically correct to say happy holidays. Now they have taken Christ out. But that will happen. But you need to realize when you talk about Christmas, you have to go to the first Christmas. You go to the first Christmas. If you go to the Gospel according to Matthew. Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 2. Verses 1 to 7. Uh, 1 to 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Let's go further down, okay? Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Yeah, go further. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. Look at the word, young child. Okay, young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. They heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till they came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, okay, star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Verse 11. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child. Now, no, let's, let's, let's look at history. Let's look at the Bible. But that's not how. I did not grow up that way. I thought, uh, the wise men, uh, came to the baby in the manger. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Bible says. The mm-hmm. Bible says young child, meaning the wise men came probably a couple of years later. Because later you will see Herod Kings, every child under the age of two. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's not what is happening today. Okay, what's, that's not what is happening today. And then, if you look at the actual scene, it, the nativity scene over there. Okay, uh, let's go to the other scene. Okay, keep, you, you keep this so much in mind. Okay, Matthew. Let's go to the other one and look so people have to look into scripture. Because whenever we do something, it has to at least agree with scripture, no? Like if you celebrate my birthday, it has to Somewhere agree with me, right? It's my birthday, right? <laughs> Let's go to Luke. Okay, did you get it? Yes, Luke. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go beyond the senses. Okay. Beyond the senses. Yeah, let's go there. So verse 4 onwards. 
Joseph also went from Galilee to the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So he registered with Mary, he was his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So here it's going from delivery onwards. She brought forth her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So if you look at it, there is no ox, there is no donkey, there is no sheep, there are no animals. So we have two pictures. The actual nativity scene, we have a manger, there are no animals. It's absolutely okay to put a few animals over there. I'm saying that if you look at it over there, if you look at it, there are no animals. Now, I'm sh showing people, and I'm definitely sure so many people who are listening today who never carefully studied their Bible did not know in the nativity scene, the Bible doesn't mention any animals, though there could have been animals. It doesn't mention any animals. So where did this come from? Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Hmm. Chapter 1, verse 2. Okay. Hear, O heavens, give ear, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 3. The ox knows its honor, the donkey its master's crib. Hmm. You get it? Yeah. But Israel does not know. My people didn't, do not consider. So out of this one verse, which, which may be prophetic, the ox and the donkey. Okay? Ox knows its owner. The donkey its master, script. But Israel does not know. My people do, do not consider. What does it mean? It could mean that nobody knew Son of God was born. Hmm. And the only witnesses was an ox and a donkey. Now people do not know their scriptures. So that's what I'm saying. It is okay to have an ox and a donkey. Okay to have an ox. There's nothing wrong in having an ox and donkey. But you want to study your scripture? Luke does not mention. Matthew does not mention. Mark and John, of course, does not go to the beginning. Okay? So if you want to study your scripture and you're doing your Christmas decorations, remember, the only thing that agrees with the Christmas decoration is a star. The star. Okay, star. Then, if you go to the star... Mm. It does not come from a Jewish prophet. It comes from a, the only Balaam. reference is from Balaam. that crazy quote called Balaam. No, Numbers 23. <laughs> yeah? Look at uh, Balaam. Okay? Chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. 24 sorry, yeah. hmm? And verse 15 to 17. 24, 15. So he took his oracle and said, utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. <laughs> the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him. Look at this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall arise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Timur. This is the only reference which talks about a star. So these are men from the east. And Balaam is from the east. Okay. Yes. So in their own culture, the prophecy has gone. In their own culture, the prophecy has gone. Okay. Every culture, there is a prophecy of a redeemer coming. 
there's no culture. There's like hundred and I, I studied somewhere much, much earlier, the hundred and twenty civil civilizational stories about the great flood from mm. every civilization, including India's. India. No. Mm. That no. one family was saved in a boat, in a box, in a canoe. Everything is there. So it cannot be a myth. Everybody carried it when they're dispersed. In the same way, every religion, there is this picture of a savior coming. It is there. Okay. So in this case, there is a star. Okay. So you have a star. You have a star. You have this manger where she put the, the trough into which she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and put him over there. There are no animals mentioned there. Then two years later, okay, if you go now back to Matthew, two years later, if you look at Matthew, uh, that portion, what, seven, two ten, two ten. Two ten okay, two ten. <clears throat> when they heard the king, yeah, when they saw the star, yeah, go further, they saw the star, okay, this is a static city, come further down, okay, now you should look at the difference. When they had come into the house, house, in Luke, the baby is in the manger. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, he is in the house. Okay. Now, if you want to do a drama, put it all together and do. But you know what? People will ask questions. Problem is you have to be very careful. Whom are you presenting these stories? Because when you press these stories, somebody who is really searching, a skeptic, a Muslim, who is searching, he reads his Bible, he finds the Bible, reads and says, but he says, if that's not the way in the Bible, and you don't know it is not, that's not the way in the Bible, and he says, you don't know your Bible? The simple question Muslims ask is that. Mm. Jesus gave one sign, yes. the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Three days and three yes. nights, I will in the belly of the fish. If Jesus died in, in, Good on Good Friday, mm. how did he rise up on Easter Sunday? Where are three days and three nights? If Jonah was three days and three nights, the Bible says three days and three nights, and Jesus said that is the ultimate sign, how do you celebrate Good Friday? You will see you have no answer. You have no answer. You have no answer. That is why we have to be very, very careful whenever we present something about the living God. Let it be true. Let it be true. Because you know what? Everything we present is part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel. Let it be true. So, Technically, when we tell our people is that because Jesus was definitely, in my understanding, not born on December 25th. It's a pagan holiday. But Jesus was born. So if you deny it is December 25th, there are pagan governments waiting to take that date away. Let us keep it. Because when you celebrate a birthday, at least the person's name is brought into the public sphere. Christmas. What is Christmas all about? It is about Christ. Christ. It is. It gives you. We are not celebrating Christmas as Christmas like others do. We are using it as a vehicle for evangelism. Yes. Evangelism. Two, I said, we have told our church, you want to do whatever in your home, that's none of my business. But I will tell you, if you want to do something, put a star up. Put a star up. Put a star up. Why? You are telling. The Savior is born in this house. Already. Yeah. He is... In this house, the king lives. That's if they ask you, what is this star? You will say, it is a sign. You are looking for salvation. You are looking for the one who saves. In this house. In this house. Mm. I will give you the gospel. Amen. He lives here. 
He is the head of this house. The star is pointing because the wise men followed the star. And when the star was gone, they ended up in the wrong place. All wise men who were fools. Why? Because they knew everything. Where is going to be? Every detail they know. Every prophecy they know. And the question is, how far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? 30 miles. How long would it take you? A couple of hours. Did anybody go? Answer, no. Nobody did. Nobody did. So what does God do? God sticks to his scripture. He says, you know, the gospel is to the poor. So who do the angels appear to? Shepherds. shepherds. The abomination. In Genesis we know shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Egyptians well, the, the lowest of the poorest. I mean, people don't understand it because it's all refined in the U.S. But we know the poor fellow who brings during Bakri season, that fellow who's clad in that dirty white dhoti. What does he, who, what bow does he have? Mm. Nothing. And God presents his gospel to them. The angels appear to them. And you know what? They left their sheep and they hurried. They hurried. Now, look over there. Let's go. Because we have to, we have to clear all these things so that in, because it's Christmas time, it's good there is a Christmas question. question. Mm. Okay. You go back to look. Okay. They come. Mm? Verse 13. We know the great company of, uh, verse 15, 13 onwards. Got it? Suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. My question is this. Did the shepherds go? They went. The foolish went. They went. You see, the wise men did not go. The so-called wise men did not go. They're talking about the wise men of Jerusalem. Not the wise men who came from far away. How long it took them. Maybe the star had appeared when Jesus was born. That means they've been traveling for two years. That's why we have that saying, the wise men still seek him. Because once that bug has eaten you for the searching the truth, you will search truth. It's a desire because truth sets you free. So these wise men probably have been traveling for two years. Two years. But the wise men of Jerusalem who knew everything about it, nobody went to Bethlehem. Nobody went to Bethlehem. And they went. Okay? They, <coughs> look at it. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. The baby was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had told them about this child. And all who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now look here again. The shepherds are poor shepherds, right? They went, they saw. Did they take any gift? No. They didn't take any gift. How do we know? Go further. Okay. Verse 21. Uh, verse 22 onwards, okay? Verse 22 onwards. They went, okay? Verse 22. Now when the days of a purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to the, what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Yes. Do you know what that is? This concession. 
That's not what the law says. It is concession for the very poor. So the prosperity gospel preachers who say Jesus was very rich, you know that the shepherds didn't even give them a lamb or a sheep to offer. But this is what it is. Okay? That's why I said you search the scriptures, it is all very clear. Joseph and Mary were not rich. They were very poor. Very poor. And poor were given a concession. You can offer a pair of turtle doves. And that's what they offered. Now you go back to Matthew. So you get the whole picture clear. What happens after two years? Then only we'll understand the wisdom of God. Hmm? Verse 11. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. What did they present? Gold, frankincense and myrrh. You can go through all your uh, theological, what each one of them represents. They may be all absolutely right. Okay, that may be absolutely right. But we people from East, we know what we give. Right? If I am from Kerala, if I am going abroad, if I were to visit something, if I am going from my own home, do you know what I will take? Oh. I will take him pepper, I will take him cardamom, and I will take cloves. Cloves. You know why? Because it's precious. In the West, you don't get it. It is precious over there. Mm. It's a very precious thing. Highly valued. When we had visitors coming from New York and all, when I give them my pepper and say, this is absolutely pure. I have some sitting over there. I discovered after moving in over here, my three-year-old pepper is sitting over there. You smell it, you will know it's absolutely pure. Because what you get in the market is fake. They mix dry papaya seed with it. This is from my own trees. Okay, and because we know how you how they make the fake there. Because original and fake both come from there. Okay, so from the east, when you go, what is precious, you give what is precious. Okay, so but leave it. It has its own meaning. But then, what did they give? They gave gold. Now you come a little there. Go to verse 13. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seeing the young child to destroy him. We know Joseph and Mary come back from Egypt only after Herod is dead. But this is prophetic because the Bible says out of Egypt. Might but if you look at it, here is a Jewish poor couple running away to Egypt. Do they have to look? Yes. What did the wise men bring them? Gold. Gold. That's what we are telling today also. God's will will never take you anywhere where His grace will not meet your needs. Mm. Everything is planned out by the Father. But in a way to see that He is humble and meek. And the gospel is for the poor. Okay, This is the actual gospel. It's Christmas story. The actual Christmas story. We don't see the actual Christmas story. We listen to all these people who change it because they haven't read their Bible carefully. you know, And they make a collage out of it. Make the baby and the two-year child into one. Put the shepherds and the wise men all together. Because of three gifts, we made it into three wise men. The Bible doesn't say three. Bible doesn't say three. Why? How come? What if it was five? Who bought three kinds of gifts? Doesn't say. Where did this three come from? 
So we need to realize so many things are associated. So we have to be very, very careful how we present the Christmas story that if a discerning person who knows his Bible or who reads the Bible and says, your presentation doesn't fit its scripture. Simple thing is, stay true to scripture. Mm. Stay true to scripture. Okay? So, as you are searching for truth, okay, then, when you come to the Christmas story, okay, now, uh, what I tell people is this. If you go to Isaiah, again, where the child is presented, Isaiah 9. nine. Go to Isaiah 9, verses 4 and 5 and so Okay. Got Isaiah 9? Okay. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The other side of it is that, you know what? This child is no other child. No other child. Let me ask you this question. My simple question to people is that I find it very funny that people don't think logically. Okay? Let us, okay. Peter, I'm not asking your age. Okay? Because if, if you are shy, let us say Peter is 30 years old. Peter's birthday. When is your birthday, Peter? October 9th. October 9th is Peter's birthday. When Peter's birthday comes in the year 2022, do we put him in a cradle? <laughs> do we put him in a cradle? <laughs> Have you heard about anybody's birthday that when somebody's birthday, who's called the everlasting father, prince of peace, when his birthday is celebrated, you always put him back in the cradle every year? Does it make sense? Next year, my birthday, the church puts me in a cradle, goes ask Amati, Amati, can you give um, Papu's picture when he was a baby and then you make a big cutout and put me in the cradle. This is your birthday, Pastor. How ridiculous it's all. <laughs> Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? He's the everlasting father. You see, this is the issue. We slowly move into religion. When the church started, God gave a couple of institutions. Baptism. One is baptism. Second, the Lord's Supper. And there is nothing else. Lord's Supper. Now think about it. Think about it. Okay? 25th of December is a Saturday. Second is a Sunday. On 25th, we celebrate the baby's birthday. And one day later, we break his body and drink his blood or emblems, his death. Does it make sense? Do you know why Jesus instituted only? He didn't institute his birthday. The church never celebrated his birthday in the early ages. The apostles never did it. They never did. There were only two things. What is it? Baptism is an ordinance. We saw that. You died with him, you were buried with him. And then life comes in. The second thing was given was communion. You do this in remembrance of me until I come. You see, if you keep it simple, it has its own power. But religion needs all these things. 
religion is for the carnal man. In his birthdays and this days and stains and statues and all these things. Mm. Because that's how you control people. Mm. But truth sets you free. Truth sets you free. We don't need, so when we talk about Christmas, we always tell people, use Christmas as a tool for evangelism. That is all. We are not celebrating the birthday of a baby. He is everlasting father. From everlasting to everlasting, he is. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an end. He does not have an end or a beginning. Yet he came for our sake and we thank him for that. Okay, so put it that way. Celebrate Christmas. Enjoy your holidays. Use have a we will have a Christmas service. We will have a Christmas message, so that it goes back to these truths. Okay, so that people know we we try to try to help people to understand what Christmas was all about. Why did God have to come? Why did God become flesh today? We saw part of the Christmas message when He came. He gave His only Son, the gift of His Son. A gift has to be received. And when you receive him, with it comes the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his truth. And the spirit leads us into truth. He gives us grace. It's a gift that keeps on giving. giving. Amen. Keeps on giving. Okay, that's, that's the truth about Christmas. No? But people get very sentimental about it. So, no, there are sentimental things in the church. One is Christmas. The other is Mary. You have to be very careful when you talk to people about it because they're very emotional about these things. And we say, do you have to do? No problem. Go ahead. Absolutely not. But I don't know. Why did you put Santa into it? Why did you get that man into it? That was total. This how deception. The problem is in that entire Christmas thing, when one thing is a lie, Another thing is a lie. The lies keep on adding. Santa is a lie. Okay, all these things are lie. And slowly Santa replaces Christ. There is a generation who thinks about Santa as Christmas. And then you have this benevolent picture of Father God. He only gives gifts. He's never mad with anybody. Never angry with anybody. You have a picture. They call him Father Christmas. Is that? Have you read your Bible? Romans eleven twenty two. Consider the kindness and the severity of God. But Santa is not severe at all. So people have a picture. God is not severe. There are lots of people who think Santa Claus is Jesus' father. Do you know the confusion that has taken place? Jesus is the son, his father Christmas. What is Christmas? Christ was born. Who is Santa? Jesus' father. The confusion, confusion, confusion. Who created this confusion? The church. Christians. The Catholic church brought it and sold it to the Protestant church. They also took it. So we have to be very careful about what we do. What we do. We brought the tree in. All that is fun. We all did it. But I'm saying, as you grow older, you get sober and start looking at it and say, you know what? It's okay. Kids love it. All that is. We all went in Kerala. We went. We never bought. We cut our tree everywhere. We cut our tree. We brought it. You know, in hot, humid Kerala, we put cotton as snow. <laughs> and the whole idea is. 
There is no 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 mention in the entire Bible with his birth. But it is snowing in America. The tree is in America and Europe. So we have transplanted the tree into all our homes. Think about the ridiculousness of it. <laughs> oh my God. All those years in my life in Hyderabad, it has never snowed. But we brought the Christmas tree. We made cotton and snow. All kind of things we have done. There is no, no snow mentioned over there. Nothing over there. Imagine it is snowing and it is so cold. Do you think the shepherds would be sitting out in the open? Watching their flock. (laughs) Watching their flocks. They wouldn't be watching their flocks. They would be burying their flocks. Would have frozen in that winter. You know where we got all the stories from? I'm telling you, if you look at it, you will realize, you know what, I read my Bible and I really, I was a fool to do all these things. Christ was definitely born. He was born. I thank you, Lord, you came. Thank you, you came full of grace and full of truth. You lived up to 33 plus and you died on the cross for me. That's my reality. You died on the cross for me. I'm celebrate, I'm celebrating God becoming man. That's all. Yes. I hope I did. I was not the Grinch who stole your Christmas. Please go out and do whatever you do want to do. Make your cookies, miss your, make all that stuff, make your Christmas cake. If you want to put rum into it, pour it. Do whatever you want to do. Let me not spoil your Christmas. But my job as a servant of God is to show you from scripture what is, what does the Bible say? Okay, what did the Bible say? And Jesus said, the truth sets you free. And we talk about all other religions. That is a myth. That is a myth. So you know what? Let's get rid of the myths in, in our, our own. Phone, exactly. In our, let's get rid of the myths. We don't need add-ons. We just stick to the truth of the word of God. And you can still celebrate Christmas. The government gives us a day. The whole world gives us one day. December 25th. You want to celebrate Christmas on that day? That's when God became flesh. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. How can you take the whole ocean and pour it into a cup? How can you take the infinite God and put him into a human body? That's a miracle. God incarnate in man. Mm -hmm. That's a miracle. Okay, that's a miracle. And that's a miracle worth celebrating. Worth celebrating. The humility of God. He became man. Born of a woman. Under the law. Celebrate. Celebrate. That's what we need to celebrate. The humility of God that is stooped so low to save us. That we celebrate. We shouldn't forget that part. Otherwise it will be like another birthday celebration. The only thing children are looking at is the gifts under the tree. Okay, gifts under the tree and they forget the real message. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So again, another question on truths. This is question number 19. There are so many questions on truths today. Uh, this is 19. It says, why do you think children are given such a hard time in school when they talk about their faiths? Mm-hmm. Is it because they are they are the next generation to bring souls to Christ? Or children are criticized on the way they talk so they would, uh, so they would hurt their self-esteem? If teachers actually taught with the goal of boosting self-esteem, most adults will be illiterate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this generation, you would agree, I'm sure, are really smart and alert. They are far from backward learners. You see, the first question about faith is because, you know, the whole thing is about when uh, 
when the recent issue, you know what, the entire philosophy of every system is to cast them young. Yeah. To cast them young. Cast them young. If you can get them in those formative years, if you can get them into their formative years, because, you know, there's this, was it Aristotle or Socrates or Plato, I'm not sure, one of the three, one of the three Greek philosophers, a mother came to, I think it was Aristotle or Plato, came and asked, uh, sir, when should I start teaching my child? So he asked her, how old is she? How old is her child? He said, five years old. She said, run home, run, lady, run. They're already five years late. Technically, they sing by the first five, six years, your brain starts soaking in information. The child is born like a sponge, literally like a sponge. And it soaks in. So every system wants them when they are young. When they are young. That ears, and especially the most, most influential ears, are, I believe, the teenage years, very, very influential. That's why Nebuchadnezzar and all are picking teenagers in the putting them because they can be indoctrinated mm. because you know what? They have a lot of zeal. Mm. They don't have wisdom. And the system says, we will provide you. We will teach you how to think. Every system, whether it's what the Nazis, whether it's the communists, everywhere, they cast them young. They cast them young. They want them now. So any child who comes in with faith is a threat to the system. Threat to the teacher. It's a threat. So you know what? If you talk about your faith, they will give you your hard time. They will give you a hard time. Because they don't want, they don't want faith there. Because when you speak about faith, it means your thinking is already established. While they are out there to change the way you think. It is not education that is taking place anymore. It's indoctrination. It is indoctrination that is taking place. Education was in the old days. We studied subjects. Now we don't study subjects along with these theories. Theories. In a generation, everything has changed. So when you are trying to indoctrinate a person in a communist system, what is, what is, did Marx say? Religion is the opium of masses. Okay, so religion has to be rooted out for communists. So you have the Western system, you call America or Europe Christian nations, but it is leftist ideology that is controlling the system. The system, governing system, current governing system, the education system. You see, communists and the devil, all they plan out long term. They plan very long term. The communists had decided, you cannot conquer America the way the other nations have been conquered. You cannot conquer it. It was a long term plan. Militarily, they are too powerful. Second, they believe in their God. It's not easy. So you have, they had a long term plan. You have to go after the education system, the telecommunication system, meaning entertainment system. That's how they infiltrate. They got into the schools. They got into higher education. They got into all these places. You look at it. Very rarely you go into any highbrow institute. If you find a believer, there would be a miracle. Mm -hmm. All are leftists. 
Harvard, even in here, let us go to the two big central universities, Hyderabad, go to IFLU, go to Hyderabad University, find how many believers you can find among the Christians who work there. Nobody, they're all leftists. Leftists. Okay. That is why, if you look at the, the politics of India, why the Modi government is after JNU. Modi government is Hindu, JNU is leftist, Marxist. They are after the after the central universities. Because the central universities are all controlled by leftist thinkers. So what does the central government have power? They have the power to appoint VCs. So they appoint hardcore Hinduta VCs. It's a political game going on. But the same thing is happening everywhere. What is happening over there in the West? What is happening in the West is all the academics which really, really ma matter. Harvard, or Princeton, or anyone, or you name it, they are all taken over by leftists. Taken. And they are in the... Why? It's a long-term process. You know why? Ultimately, who comes to the Senate and the Congress? Barack Obama. What was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kamala Harris. What is she? Lawyer. Who are these all people? They all come from leftist universities. Okay. They think they are Marxists in ideology and Freemasons in practice. So you have both the demonic and the leftist ideology. The people are living there like sheep. They have no clue. They have no clue. Oh, American public system is so good. Really? Really? When you put your children through that public system, now what is happening? In, why are the parents in a rage mm -hmm. in America? Because they suddenly realize what is happening in the school union versus the parents. Are you getting it? So this is what the problem, the whole issue was that, you know, you need to understand U.S. history or British history. You take any university worth its name, old university. What were these universities? Seminaries. Mm. All the universities were seminaries. I could just go on Google now. We don't have the time. In five minutes, and if you tell what you call, not the logo, what you, what you call that of a university? Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the motto. motto. Mm. Go back and look at the motto of any American university, which is at least 200, 300 years old. Everything is from scripture. Everything is from scripture. Because these universities were instituted to train men and women to serve God. Mm. Today, you cannot have God over there. You cannot have God over there. So this is what is basically happening around. This is not in the West or Australia. It's happening everywhere. Because when you have a particular ideology, faith becomes a threat to them. So they will mock you. They will mock you. Second, Along with that, fundamental institutions, uh, fundamental truths of the Bible, God made male and female. And he made man in his image. Okay, That is what the devil hates. devil hates the fact man is made in God's image. So he has to destroy that image. Okay, This did not start yesterday or today. This started almost 75, 80 years. And you know, this all starts in New York, Paris and all these places. So this now, when it becomes with gender confusion, is now. now. From confusion, we have moved to gender fluidity. Fluidity. What is the result of it? The result of is what is a generation of confused children. 
what happens they are so weak because they are all based on feelings see when you find a man or a woman who is feeling first remember that person is very weak it's not strong very weak so what happens you have to boost their esteem all the time they have comfort animals you have to kind of the junk that happens in america spaces to recover no discipline you can't discipline a child you can't do any of these things so what you have is that you have i don't know what to call this generation you know and into that middle of this mess comes this bull in this china what do you call that china shop bull in the china shop called president trump he trampled over everybody's feelings <laughs> he trampled over trampled over everybody's feelings now they are wishing wish he was back you saw yesterday today's new america has hit its highest inflation in 40 years people asked see it is easy to manage in a country like india not easy to manage in a country like america because you love paycheck to paycheck cool. hmm. and you love everything on credit everything on credit we don't love on credit they love on credit and when inflation shoots up you know why so this is what it's talking about you know what children are smart they are the smartest generation ever their brains are sharp now i'm waiting for the day when our little gracie will we look at look at the baby starts looking at you starts you will start talking and asking questions yes. because they are so so sharp rema mm. all of them are so sharp so alert mm. but the problem is you know what if you train them the way the world is going today they are going nowhere because scripture says train the child not entertain hmm. train the child today it's entertainment the bible says train hmm. train the child and the bible is very strict on disciplining a child because the bible tells the truth which the world will not accept that the child is born in sin and shaped in iniquity a child technically is a born rebel all you have to do is leave the child alone it will be a rebel because it is born that way so the child needs the rod of discipline the child is not saved so the child needs the law because the law is for the ungodly and it's very difficult for a parent to look into the eyes of your child and say you know what my child is ungodly we say angelic god says no but jinsen looks angelic looks cherubic the child needs the law and the father and the mother are the law are the law that's why your parents are given the law so they train the child i'm not saying being harsh i'm no. not talking about that without breaking you need it's like uh, you break a horse in america no i mean i i'm a crazy western guy okay i think if i ever were to go to america i would ride i would go to texas and ride a horse because the first time i did i had never ridden a horse the first time i did it came to me naturally because i've been dreaming of riding a horse in my mind all the time so when it was natural i just rode and my wife was like can you don't go so fast so in the same way when i'm talking about it, you need to have to know to break a horse if you break it wrong it will you'll always see broken horses like the one you see have you seen them mm. the head is never high 
the head is never high. The broken spirit, head is always hanging like this. You have to learn to train a child without breaking its spirit. Mm. Breaking its spirit. You have to be very way how you go about it. You need to be gentle, you need to be sensitive, you need to be firm. You cannot be harsh. You cannot be harsh. You cannot be violent. You have, the child keeps on growing. You have to change the ways in which you discipline them. Because certain forms of discipline after a particular age will not bring obedience. It brings rebellion. So we have to know our child. And two, two, no, no two child from the same womb is the same. So you have to discipline them also differently. It is not the same. So here, it's, it is total bunkum. Total bunkum. No, they, they were tough in my days. Oh my gosh. They were tough. And I grew up, I studied the first six year, first till sixth grade in a monarchy. In a monarchy of that age, do you know how tough they are? The discipline? My gosh. Even today, even today in the schools, they teach you how to stand, how to walk, how to speak if Royalty is to come. It's still taught. How to bow, how to courtesy. It's still taught. But still a monarchy. Because if the king suddenly comes to school, you need to know your behavior. This is how you behave when the king comes. It's still taught. It's still taught. And punishment, now of course it's changed a lot, was terrible. Now we were not caned. My father came to me. But the local teachers never caned you. They whipped you. The local teacher had a simple little, small little rod into which was nailed five or six strips of leather. And with that he gave you here. All the girls here. Boy, it hurt. It let, left wells over. Nobody died. <laughs> Nobody died. We learned what discipline was. We learned what discipline was. Okay, nobody died because of any of those things. America is a different case altogether. So much abuse has taken place. But I also know that abuse, if you know on the other side of it, was also a part of the demonic setup. Yeah. America wasn't, uh, the devil was not after pagan nations. The devil was after Christian nations. So you know what? He creates abuse. He's the fellow who creates abuse using people in the system, in the school system, in the homes. He creates abuse, parental abuse, school abuse. Then he changes the laws. By changing the laws, he takes the discipline out. So that in a generation, he has the whole lot of young people in his hands. So both ends. It's basically saying, heads I win, tails you lose. He never did this in the eastern countries. Have you noticed? No. He never did this in the east. He never did it. You go to eastern countries, the children still are very respectful. Yep. You go to the west, it's a mess. Yet, it is the same ruler. The ruler of the world is the same. He never did this in the east. He did it in the west. Why? Because he's after the children of the west because they are Christian. Here, his tricks were different. His tricks were different. He's already got the opium of religion. But there it is different. They have truth. Yes. West had the truth. So you know what? You have to destroy the next generation. Because like the book of Judges, every Christian nation is only one generation away from total destruction. 
Okay, so we need to understand how it works. So you want to go into what? Actual bringing up your children is, we say, study your Bible. Look into the Bible. Okay, teach them. Okay, don't break the will of the child. Teach the child because he does not know. Why did God say, honor your father? Why did he put that in there? Except that all the other are either moral or ethical. Right? Every nine commandments are moral, connected with God, or connected with ethics. And then he brings one over there in the middle, and God says, says, honor your father and mother, and you shall live long in the land. Why did he put over there? Because he says, when a child is born and the child grows, the child doesn't know God. Doesn't know God. You represent God to them. If he learns to honor and obey the parents, he will learn to honor and obey God. That's the reason that is given over there. And parents need to know why that commandment is there. Do you know who I represent to my children? I represent God to my children. I cannot be perfect, but I will try to be blameless. Mm-hmm. That's why God tells Israel that the children you bore unto me, the children are not yours, the children are mine. I gave it to you for a season so that through you, they should have the first knowledge of what God is. God is the father and the mother, the discipline on one side, the kind, the severity of God and the kindness of God balanced over there so that the child grows up and says, you know, that's what I said. Parenting is a full-time job. It's not a part-time job. It's a full-time job. Unless we learn, like we we said about the pearl of incredible value, you look back and you look at Psalm 120, not 121. Children are uh, 127. Let's go to 127. Psalm 127. And we, we are, yeah, we still got it. Yeah. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Wait a second. From the Lord. Okay. Now tell me, tell me, uh, answer me a question. On earth, what do you know that you have from heaven? Children. Your children. Wow. That is how you put value. Value is based on who gives it to you and what he gives to you. One, he has given you children. Two, they are from him. And it's a reward. Fruit of a womb is a reward. It's a reward. And the Bible says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Okay? Happy is the man who has his cure full of them. They shall not be ashamed but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Put four and five together. Okay? Because I come from that background, meaning I live in a country, grew up in a country where the national sport till today is archery. One of the things you need to realize is every reed does not become an arrow. Every arrow is a reed. Mm. Every arrow is a reed. But every reed does not become an arrow. There is a lot of process that goes in before that reed becomes an arrow. That's what the Bible is saying. The warrior is God and he has entrusted their child into the hands of two parents. And you say that, if you listen to my word and do what I tell you to do with your children, one day they will be a weapon of destruction in my hands. They will contend with my enemies. That's an arrow. That's an arrow. And there is there goes much work in making a reed into an arrow. And it is not the world education system. 
it is not the world education system it is the word of god there we learn let them learn subjects but they don't learn the rest the rest about life they should learn from home first and then from church first home then church what is taught at home is reiterated in the they have when the children are growing up they're not going to school when the children are growing up they see primarily three authority figures at home so they see the parents then they are taken to church and they see their pastor and the pastor dedicates them to the lord they are growing up see three authority figures my father my mother my pastor and what is taught at home is reiterated from the pulpit by the third authority figure it is gets into okay. their mind they know this is the truth yep this is the truth so don't outsource your children to the church do your homework at at home and then when they come to church you know what they will believe it is true dad said it mom said it that's why we say always let there be no division in the home because when there is division in the home because children are born in sin and shaped in iniquity when there is division whichever parent is flesh the child will go with the flesh because the child is flesh oh. it will not go with spirit it will not go with spirit unless it's a miracle it will go with the flesh calls out to flesh spirit calls out to fit spirit the child is flesh the father is flesh or the mother is flesh that child will go with flesh it will not go it will not go with spirit that's why there should be no division so when people are fighting in their homes and thinking about divorce think about what god has given to you the children god has given to you those are heritage from heaven reward from heaven precious most precious what you have that's why even before you go into it think can i marry an unbeliever hmm. can i marry an unbeliever these are questions people need to ask because this is a result of all these things you see you cannot have a, a problem unless uh, a crisis unless the problem started much earlier much earlier go to malaki and we are all guilty no, we we are we are acknowledging we made these mistakes hmm? chapter 2 and verse 15 chapter 2 verse 15 but he did he not make them one what is the first command of marriage for this purpose man shall leave his father and mother cleave to their wife cleave to his wife and they shall become one one now he gives a reason did he not make the one of the main reasons having a remnant of the spirit and by one because he seeks godly offspring godly offspring therefore take heed to your spirit, spirit. why this another word which says over there verse 16 verse 16 yeah for the lord of israel says he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence okay there are two applications over here okay two applications over here one is see Divorce is a result of violence. There's violence in the house. Verbal violence, emotional violence, physical violence, whatever violence. That violence ultimately leads to divorce. divorce. Second, God looks at man and wife as one, one garment. And this is a divorce. Divorce is tearing the garment into two. He says, says the Lord of hosts. Who is saying this? 
the captain of hosts. Look at the title. Yep. He says, I'm the captain of hosts. I'm the leader of commander of God's armies. I'm used to violence, except in one place, not in your home. It's one place you will not wage war, not in your home. That's not a place for battle. That's a place for peace. Hallelujah. That's what he's saying. Hmm. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal Treacherously. Treacherously. So understand, fundamental principles are there. You see, we cannot put band-aid on cancer. We have to go to the root issues and go back. You see, you cannot go back and change things from the past. Only God can. What you can do is repent. As parents repent and say, Lord, I goofed up. I messed up. Have mercy. Have mercy. You know what? He is able to reach out and touch the lives of your children. He's able to do it. That is where it comes. That's why the Bible says there's nothing impossible with God. Absolutely impossible with God. And I believe that's what happened with David and Bathsheba. David had goofed up big time in his marriages and with his children. He was a delinquent father. He's a delinquent father. But I believe after that child died before his eyes and he knows his result, he changed. He can't change what has happened in the past. Because these kids have grown up, it's out of his hands. But I believe he watched over Solomon. Watched over Solomon. And everything Solomon is writing, he has learned it from his father and his mother. It is All the Proverbs are experience. This is what my father taught me. This is what I learned from my mother. This is what I learned. We may say Proverbs of Solomon, hmm. but it was God who taught him, I believe, through David. Yep. Got it through David and Bathsheba. They both changed. Bathsheba too changed because in chapter 31, he will say, Proverbs 31, he will say what his mother taught him. So if that is what his mother taught him, then the first 30 chapters is what his father taught him. Hmm. So he's saying, you know, what I learned, I learned from a dad and mom. And you know what I learned and became? I became the wisest man on earth. Because I learned. That's what Bible is actually telling us. You train up your child by what I have told you. Your child will be the wisest, the wisest in his generation, wisest than the others. Let them be educated in the world. Let them learn subjects. Let them not learn morality and ethics from the world. Let it learn about life from God. You be that people. I'm telling again and again, if my church is missing, Lord of young parents, almost all are young. And you have little children. You have little children. Don't go in the way of the world. It is sacrifice. It is labor. It is patience. It is time. You will have to spend time with them. Children don't learn like in a classroom. They don't learn like that. That is a subject. You cannot teach life or the Bible like a subject. You cannot. You live it out before them. That's why God put two witnesses before them. In the mouth of two witnesses, everything shall be established. The first thing he tells the parent is, be one, don't be two. Be one, don't be two. There should not be two people in the house. There should be only one person. When there is two, division, division has come. The children will go that way. And you will see, that is how how uh, Isaac's house was divided. 
Isaac's house was divided. You know why? Because I will show you something the Lord told me, showed me. Very strange. The Lord said, did you see this before? And he showed me just a few weeks back. And I said, Lord, I've been studying the book of Genesis for 35 years. I'm seeing it now. Interesting. God is funny, right? He can keep teaching you from the same chapter over and over again. Okay, turn to, sorry, I didn't give you, Genesis 24. Okay. 24, verse 24. Got it? She said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Nahor. Okay. Now you come to verse 50. Did you see that? Oh, verse 33. Verse 33. If you read verse 29, verse 23. You know what's the name that comes over there? Laban, Laban, Laban. Now if you go to verse, the verse, the last verse I gave you. Which one was that? 33. No, not 33. One second, one second. Let's give me this. is something interesting the Lord showed me there. Uh, verse 50, verse 50. Laban and Bedouin answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord and we cannot. You see, the father is there all the time. But yes, Laban has usurped the position. Did you see that? Yeah. The father is there. But Laban has usurped the father's position. Do you know? Not because of it. Do you know what happens? This... This gets into Rebecca's head. And he said, you know why she usurped Isaac's position? Because she learned in her house. It's not Bethel who is speaking. It never ha- happens in Semitic tradition. Mm. The father makes the decision. The father, the father, the father. He has a brother. The son has taken over. And you know what? He said, she learned this at home. So when there was a crisis in Isaac's home, she said, I'll handle. She usurped. Isaac's position. And she told the son, you do what I tell you to do. Okay. So this is what happens. There are certain things which you learn from home and you carry it with you into your generation. So you have to be very careful you learn the right thing. Learn the right thing. And you know what? She was usurps the position like Laban. And Jacob turned out to be like Laban. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out to be like Laban. Okay. This, this, this is in so many ways, it's a transference of the spirit. Go on there. Because the order of the home has been spoiled. It is not Bethel who is speaking. It's Laban who is speaking when the father is alive. It's not the son, father who is speaking, making it. It's put over there. Why does scripture put this order over there? Because there is disorder in that home. God's order is telling you there is a disorder in that house. Laban is the one. Okay, who's making all the decisions over there? So if the son can make the decision when the father is there, wife can they make the decision when the husband is there? Overruling the husband's wishes. You go, do what I tell, take the blessing and go. You will see how it plays out. So we have to be very, very careful about the home. Our children are made 
or unmade in our homes, not so much in school. We blame the school. It is not the school to be blamed. If the home is kosher, absolutely solid with God, you can send them into any school. They will stand there like Joseph. They will stand there like Daniel. Now let me ask you this question. Why did Joseph stand? If you, I mean, if you talk about home, right? Jacob's home is a mess. Home is a mess. Why did Joseph stand? Rachel was not there. Rachel was not there. He's mentored only by a righteous father and no mother to influence. If Rachel had been there, he wouldn't have turned out right. Did you see that? You have four mothers and twelve children. And only one kid is there whose mother is not there. So the only voice that speaks to him is the voice of him. That's what I said. Best case scenario, godly father and mother. Second best case scenario, one godly parent. This next one should leave and never come back. Get out of his, the child's life. Leave. Go. Never come back. Let be that godly. You will see the difference. The problem is when the ungodly doesn't leave. Elkanah was smart. He said, you handle Samuel. And Samuel turned out super smart. Because the mother and the godly in the family handled it. Worst case scenario, two fleshly parents. Fast and pray for that child, that he or she makes it. Okay, so there are scenarios over here. There are scenarios over there. That's why Joseph turned out well. Joseph turned out well because there is no other voice speaking, no contradictory voice speaking. And the father saying something, the mother always contradicts. Okay, Jacob must be trying to tell Reuben something. And when he comes over there, why do you think Milka, this thing, ah, your father leave now. Okay, don't listen to him. Okay, they have nothing. That is the, that same thing I believe happened with David. That happened with David. The one who publicly humiliated David got shut her womb. Remember her name? Yeah, Michal. Michal never had a child. The others, I don't think, publicly did. They secretly did. But one woman who covered the child from ever talking down about the father or opposing the father was Bathsheba. Because we know Samuel, sorry, Solomon honored his father. A son cannot ever continuously honor his father if the mother has not shielded the father before his eyes and honored him. Never contradicts the father. And even if father said something contradictory, she will correct him in public saying, Dad, that's not, that's not right. Okay, that's his word. But she will never say against the father in, in front of the children. The children. Because she knows it matters to the child. Because the head of the house is the father, not the mother. If you contradict the head here, then you will go out. You can contradict every head. And you will never come under, come under hedge. Never come under. These are fundamental principles. So wise parents need to understand it says, you know what? I'm sowing seeds in my children. Let them be eternal seeds yeah. and not tears. Yes. Not tears. Because these things they carry. That's what I said. Parenting is a very serious, laborious business. We fail. And when we fail, we tell our children, I go down. I'm sorry, okay? We make it very clear also to our children. There is only one perfect father. That is God. I'm a poor representation, but I'm not making excuses myself where I could have been right. Yes. I'm not making excuses. Where I'm wrong, 
I'm sorry. I apologize. But they see the, yeah. that God is honored. They see. The they see. Because they need to see mm. that repentance mm. is a part of life. life. They need mm. to see that too. Okay. And we have to be. Otherwise, what is happening in the last days, like I said on uh, Friday, the last days picture, because the Bible says, before the day of the Lord, terrible day of the Lord, I will send my prophet Elijah. So what is the dispensation of the time of Elijah? It's a weak man and a controlling woman. That's what you're seeing, weak men and controlling women. And I'm talking about good godly women in the church who control. And they don't know they have the spirit of Jezebel over them. They don't do witchcraft. They don't do sorcery, but they control. They control. And peop- people always think the Jezebel thing is somebody with a witch with a going on a broom and making all that potion. No! It is right there in the church. It is the woman who controls her husband in the church. They control. And you have to be very careful. The Jezebel spirit is looking. No, looking to take over control. And that is the spirit of this age. Weak men and very strong controlling women. What is God's answer? Strong men, not violent men. Strong men. And strong women who submit in all things to their husband. Because only strong women can submit. Mm. Strong women. And they will control with manipulation. All kind of things you look back over there in the book, right there in the book of Genesis, it is told over there. Your desire will be for your husband and it will be whole battle for control. How do women control? They control through manipulation. They control through manipulation. Different ways they manipulate. That is why the Bible says it's a woman who was deceived and not, uh, not. And through that deception, what happens? She controls through manipulation. And what is the response of the man? He controls through violence. Intimidation. Intimidation Intimidation is sorcery from the enemy through the man. And manipulation is sorcery from the enemy through the woman. And that is how these homes are. Intimidation and manipulation. Full broth of witchcraft. God says, break it. Break it. He says, there will be no weak men in the end. There will be men sold out for God. They will be men who have made themselves eunuchs. Eunuchs for the kingdom of God. They love their wives. But they love their God more. Eunuchs. You know who eunuchs are in the kingdom of God? The last days men. You cannot buy them with money. You cannot buy them with honor. You cannot buy them with wine. You cannot buy them with pleasure. You cannot. Because they will try to manipulate you with sex. So not. And you cannot. You cannot buy this. They're married. They may be married. They may not be married. But they cannot be bought. They cannot be bought. These are the men who will throw Jezebel down. So Jehu looks up and sees three eunuchs. And he says, throw her down. Why? God says, Jezebel's spirit can be brought down by only men who can be bought with money. You can't be bribed. Because they know that God doesn't take a bribe. Mm. Two, they, you cannot get them drunk. They have no attachment to drugs, attachment to wine or anything that intoxicates. True, you cannot buy them with sex. They will go without months without sex if they have to. You don't buy me mm. with sex. And fourth, what is the fourth one? Pleasure. Yeah, basically. No, that's, you can't. And you, that's, that's strong men. We need men like that. They are very kind. They are not hard. They are not wild. They are very gentle. They are very kind. Very kind. Like Jesus. 
very kind, very gentle, won't put a smoking flax out, won't break a bruise reed, but you can't buy them. You can't buy him with anything. Are you hungry? I will give you satisfaction for you. Flesh says no. They have killed it. Okay. I will give you honor. I'll give. He was a eunuch. In the spiritual sense. You couldn't buy him. You couldn't buy him. Okay, and God says, those are the overcomers. Amen. We need to look at all these things. And you know, sir, when you have children, you have to children, both boys and girls. You know, boys have to be taught to be gentle, kind, compassionate, and strong. And strong. You will not be manipulated through these three. That's where a child has to be taught. First lesson for the child is obedience and self-control. Children have to be taught. You get three meals a day and you get a snack in the evening. You can't eat through the day. Yes. No. No, way. no. You're not going to eat through the day. So I hate it when I see children walking and eating, walking and eating. What are you doing? You don't eat like that. You don't eat like that. You eat three meals a day. You get a snack, you get a snack. That's it. But you eat three meals. You don't eat. And there are specific, very clear times for you when you eat. What are you teaching you? You're teaching you to your first appetite because in that seed shaped in iniquity, born in sin, is all the lust. Mm. But the first lust is hunger and thirst. And you drink water. You don't drink coke. You drink water. You don't drink anything else. You get milk, you get milk. That's it. Milk and water. Two things naturally created by God. One he gave water, the other he gave the cow. He didn't give anything else. Mm. You drink these two. As a child, you grow up drinking. And you know what? All my life... Very interesting. Derek Prince uses his word where Mm. he says, uh, in the last days, that God is their belly. Yeah, God is their Their belly. belly. Mm. And then he Mm. says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Mm. Those people who have controlled, who have learned to control the belly, belly. which is God, Mm. God uses the same place as a source for the living living water to... Holy Spirit flows. Because they have learned to control. The first thing is that belly. Everything else is different, less, but the package is the same. So if you can... Teach them self-discipline, discipline, self-control. Okay, the only self which is good is self-control. You have to teach them that. What do we eat? And what to drink? How to eat? How to drink? And times mm. you discipline them. Okay, and you, the children have to be taught in the beginning to take care of what they have. Stewardship. Okay, when they lose one pen, don't buy buy ten. Don't buy ten. You have to teach them. It's not that we value things. We value the effort that has gone behind things. So they have to be taught to be a good steward of things. You know, today's children, please bother. They have hundreds of toys. Shoes. They don't hundreds of shoes. (laughs) So many clothes. They value nothing. They haven't learned the value of hard work. They haven't valued anything. They don't value anything. Absolutely nothing. Today when we were coming in the car, Anne and I were talking, and we were talking about it, I realized, and I said, you know shoes. what? In our shoes, in our days, when you bought a pair of shoes, it was for one year. School shoes were absolutely one year. You know what the first thing you did? You took it to the cobbler. You know what the cobbler did? You know the 
tire, not the tire, the tube inside that. He will cut and he will put on the sole that you taste it and put small nail so that your shoe will last a year. Sometimes it lasts two years, but your feet grows. Your shoe changed only because your feet grew, because your shoe did not wear out. We were living in the wilderness those days. Your shoe never wore out. You wore out. You know what we learned? We learn tough lessons. So you know what now? God gives us so much. It doesn't touch our soul at all. We still treat the same thing the way we treated when we had one. When God gives us seven now, we don't treat them with contempt. That's seven. We treat them the way we treated that one. Because we learned it when we are young. Like I said, all the lessons you are going to learn in life, you learn it when you are young. You have to teach your children these things. Okay, you didn't get a second book until you had read the first one. You did not get. You don't get a second book. You read the first one, and then you have your second book to read. That is how you were taught. Everything was taught. This is a discipline which you carry through life. Why? You are teaching. You are stewards. Finally, when Peter comes, I think in Peter one chapter. Or whatever he says, you will be stewards of the gift of yeah, grace. Peter chapter four verse seven. Mm-hmm. Four seven. Ultimately, what is God going to so give eight, into our hands? Eight, okay. What are we going to be? We are stewards of God's grace. When the fullness of grace comes. We are stewards of God's grace, and God says, "You know what? Teach your child stewardship. Teach your child stewardship. You know." Just let me let me ask you this simple question. Okay? Simple question. Yeah. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as a good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And one of the things about the grace of God is no waste. No waste. Think about it. Jesus two miracles. Okay, that's another message. One time four thousand, another time five thousand. One time with four four people, he had seven loaves of bread. 4,000 people, seven loaves of bread. Second time, with 5,000 people, he had five loaves of bread. With five loaves of bread, there was 12 baskets full. Seven loaves of bread, there were seven baskets full. You see? What did he make them do? Pick up the fragments. Pick up the fragments. There's no waste. Pick up the fragments. Why did he make them pick up the fragments? And who would pick up fragments? Who would put up fragments? I'm telling you, I have issues with this modern life. You go to my study, what do you see in my study? You You see two big bottles of water. You know why? Because I hate drinking from the bottle and throwing it off. So I bring my water from home. I don't drink from the small bottle unless it's an emergency. I hate to see people, children, drink it today, drink it today. What a waste of resources. So do you know what? I bring my bottle of water, two bottles in my bag every time, all these years. Here, it was a little difficult, so I started bringing my water again. Even to cook, I bring my own water. You know why? I'm not going to use this, use this, use this, because in my head it's ingrained. You don't waste It's a total waste. It's a total waste. Now forgive my wife. She's American. Okay? Leave her alone. 
Okay, because she can't drink the water I drink even in that because it upsets her stomach. That's why she buys that bottle. Because she drinks that water, it upsets her stomach. And I understand that all our children when they come from US, they cannot drink our water. It upsets their stomach. So they need bottled water till they go. So I understand that what I'm talking about, us Indian, Bharatiya, mm-hmm. Indians. And I, I look at the kids and I say, you know what, it's a total waste. Waste. No, we have to learn. You know why? Because God is looking at us how we are handling these things which really are not worth much. Why? Because He wants to give us gifts and He wants to give us grace to see that we will steward it faithfully, be good stewards of these things and minister to one Amen. another. Amen. Amen. One another. Okay? Like I told Sam. Sammy and Pastor with Sammy's life. No, Sammy, it's not your mistake. It's nobody's mistake. It's me. It's me. I said, do you know what's the electricity bill of this office? What is the difference in December bill and October bill, September bill, August bill? Difference is November I moved in here. Before that, it was 1800, 1900, 1700. What happened in November? I moved in here. What is the bill? 750. We are still putting two ACs. We are still using the same thing. But what is the difference? Difference is that every unnecessary thing is put off. So my wife comes and says, you are sitting in the dark. I said, I need the light I need. I'm sitting in one room. I don't have to light the rest of the house. So what happens? The bill comes by half or less than half. Let us say the bill comes by 1,000 rupees. 12 months? 12,000 rupees. 12,000 rupees. That's how you save. Mm. Why? To give away. To give away. We are not saving, hoarding it in the last days to be condemned with the rich in James chapter 5. Mm. We are saving to give it away. You know what a difference life can make to somebody who needs 12,000 rupees? Yes. And you know what? All of us can save. Amen. All of us can save. Every one of us can save. And I'm telling you, honestly, why the church always has money for everything is because I handle finance. Till today, as a church, we have not known debt. Think today, hundred pastors offerings twenty thousand rupees. Hundred pastors offerings twenty thousand rupees, plus other expenses. Okay, twelve months a year, eleven months a year for twelve years. Always come. Church has always come through. You know why? Because a man who was taught in his young days how to handle resources, yeah. handles it. That's about 3.6 lakhs of per annum and 36 lakhs in 10 years. <laughs> just to these poor pastors, just to these poor pastors, in 10 years, we have given 36 lakh rupees away. We did not hold our sis. Yet we have never known what it lacks. You ask Sister Elsner, she says, you are the only set of people who pay in advance the rent. Everybody, we have to go after them. You know, she's, church has no issues. Everybody, everybody who is supported by the church gets it by the first, maximum two or three. Everybody gets. You know why? Because expenses are cut. Very, not cut, very carefully spent. Like, we get this principle. We spend on people. We, just, we don't spend on unnecessary things. 
because God sent his son and invested in men, not in things. You look in the life of Jesus Christ, you know what? A God of abundance. God of all riches. Cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The gold and silver is mine. Think about Think for just last thing. Think about it. The gold and silver are mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Pick up the fragments. Does it make it sense? That is God. <laughs> that is God. <laughs> that is God. Okay. Twelve basketfuls? He can multiply and create twelve hundred baskets full. But he says, pick up the fragments. You know why? He's teaching us lessons. There's no waste in my father's Amen. He's a good steward of his resources. No waste. Be like my father. Be good stewards. No waste. We don't have to waste. With our children, teach them. You don't have, you don't need. Handle your own stuff. And even I tell men, if you have time on your hands, hand wash your clothes. Yeah, they last a long. Long. So you can give your clothes over to somebody and it will not be turned with holes in it. They still look new. You know why? Because you take very good care of your, of your stuff. Very good care. You know how do you take? Wash it back. And then fast, final rinse put into the machine. That's all you do. Ten minute rinse is all that is enough. But before that you have washed it with hands and you put it into it. You know what? Your clothes come out. It lasts for a long time. Everything. You look at it. it you handle it. You know what? Why are you doing it? Because you know what? If you want to buy a pair of trousers, 2K. Right? Yeah. 2K. Minimum 2K. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? When there is a time and a need in somebody else's life and God says, give them 2K, you wish. Ah, I wish my trouser had lasted long. I hadn't wasted. That's all. You know what? In heaven, nobody will worry about any of these things. We are being taught lessons over here. Being taught lessons over here by not wasting on unnecessary things. And I'm telling you, God is not a God of, he's not a conjurist. He's not a miser. He will give you more than you can handle. He will just give it to you. Keep on giving it to you. When he knows you are a good steward, you will lack nothing in life. You will lack nothing in life. He will give it to you. But you have to prove your stewardship to God so that he can give you true riches. He can hand because he knows you will not hold it up. Let us read that scripture and finally pray and close. James chapter 5. And verse 21, 1 and 2, and 3. Come on now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. What is rich? The people who have money? No, these are people who had money and never gave it away, never helped anybody. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Do you know what garments they are talking about? The righteousness. Your gold and silver are corroded. Can't gold corrode? No. Their corrosion will be a witness against you and will, why? How can the corrosion be a witness against you? Meaning, you never gave your money away. Mm-hmm. Against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Why? You have heaped up treasure in the last days. You know, that's what happened. Do you know that one person or two person of the rich people have multiplied their riches in the last one year of COVID? It will stand against them when people were literally dying and dying and dying and dying. They were heaping up their money. 
Money is neutral because the Bible says Jesus, one of the honors he has is riches. There's nothing wrong with riches. What is the purpose of riches? Use it. But it's primarily to give it. You know what? Your wealth will stand against you as a witness that day. Mm. Your garments will stand against you as a witness. No righteousness. All eaten by moths. Full of holes. So, and look at the last two words in that verse 3. When? In the? Last days. It's a picture of the last days. Picture of the last days. Because the old rich people, even in America, were very generous. Yes. They were not like the rich of today. They were very generous people. Now the rich people like Gates and all, when they give, they don't give to the poor. They give for their agendas. They have their own agendas from the Lord. They invest in those agendas. That's not what God is talking about. That's why Job is standing out and saying, has ever a poor man in my sight gone poor? He says, no. He was the richest man of his time. That's what God is talking about. So get this fundamental lessons into this. You know what? Because like we le- learn on Saturdays, it's not about doing. It's about being. Mm. It's not being. No? God is not saying, do things. That is law. Grace doesn't tell you to do things. Grace makes you into something. Because a person has come inside and from inside he's changing us. So we literally, little by little, become in nature, in character, like God. Because God is restoring what happened in the garden. He's restoring his image in us. He made us in his image and his likeness. And now the new man is made in the likeness of the heavenly man. We are becoming like him. And that's what he is. He is a generous God. The God of abundance. Abundance and generosity should go together. Otherwise it will kill you. God bless you. We will close, Pastor Vijay. Yes, Pastor. We'll pray. You'll pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this day. Once again, we just want to thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness in our lives. Lord, you're a good God. And Lord, we just want to thank you for teaching us, teaching us your ways, showing us your paths. Lord, you said in your word that you would teach the humble, the meek, your ways. And I pray, Father, that we will continue to be meek so that, Lord, you can teach us And Lord, teaching us, teaching us and not transforming us into the likeness of your Son so that we can be what you want us to be, O Lord, especially in these last days. And therefore, I pray, Lord, that even as we receive your word by faith, that, Lord, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit, that you would light your laws in the deepmost parts of our inner man and that you would cause us to walk in your ways. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you once again, Lord, for everything that has happened through this day from the pastor's conference and even till now. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will all continue to walk in that anointing and that teaching. And, Lord, that you would, Lord, continue to Lord, work your 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 uh, work in our hearts, so Lord, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.